You know, the goal of our lives is not just to enjoy everything for ourselves. The goal of our lives is to make a difference in the lives of other people. And, and that is called, when you're gone and you've made a difference in people's lives, that's called a legacy. A legacy, a simple definition of legacy is something that lasts beyond yourself. It goes further than your life. It uses your life to then promote and encourage and increase the next life. That's what a legacy is and that's what we're called to as a church. Listen, church family, it's so important that we live lives that go beyond us, that go beyond our concerns, that we live a life that leaves something after we're gone. And so every December, we all pitch in together in this year-end offering. And it's, it's a, listen, the offering is an opportunity for, to stretch our faith. That's why we do it. And we stretch our faith, we give beyond our tithes and regular giving, and we try to do something together to help One Chapel grow, to help us move forward, to help us push forward in our vision and mission. And it's uh, December 3rd. Everybody say December 3rd. And, and you, I'm telling you about it now because, because I don't want you to feel pressured. I'm telling you about it all these weeks earlier because I don't want you to feel pressured about this offering. I want you to not feel any compulsion except being led by God's spirit in what to give. I'm not trying to force you to do anything. That's why I'm announcing it six weeks out because I want you to think about it. I want you to pray about it. I want you to prepare for it. I want you to simply do one thing. I want you to ask God what you should give and then just do that. That's as simple as it gets. And it's so important, uh, it's so important that we realize all the things that God is doing and that's why all around you you have something called uh, the One Chapel Magazine. Could you hand me that, Leah? The One Chapel Magazine. If you have one around you, just get, get a hold of it right now. Can you just go ahead and take it? This is an, a, a kind of a new thing we're doing and I wanna tell you why we're doing it. So often events, Events around here kind of come and go, and we don't hear enough of the stories about what God has done uh, as we go through the year. And so we want you to know what, that what we're doing together really matters. And so the One Chapel Magazine is a way to, to tell some stories, to, to remember what God did. It's kind of our legacy of 23 so far. And, and it kind of shares some vision and some ideas about what we believe and where we're headed and where we're going. And I want you to take some time to read this, all right? Take it home. There's extra ones out in the lobby, I believe. You can take this home, and I want you to read it. I want you to be moved by it. I want you to pray about it. I want you to remember what God has done and thank him for what he's doing in our church. It's a great thing, okay? So, I want you to put it aside now. Don't read it now. Right? Put, put, it, put it aside now. I want you to read it later. I want you to know that it's important that you understand as we're launching into this series about what matters most, that every month, it's, it's something that we practice. We give 10% of every dollar. The first 10% goes out from us. It's our first and our best. We don't wait till we have enough. We send the first of what we get and we give it to global missions, we give it to local missions, and we participate in the planting of, 
uh, about 60 to 80 churches a year with something called the ARC, which is the Association of Related Churches. We are an ARC church. We were planted uh, as number 169, and that means we give 2% of everything that comes in to church planting, and we make an investment. We are partnering. Uh, in fact, ARC has, uh, ARC has planted over 1,000 churches over the last 20 years. It's amazing what we're part of. You give to that. You're making a difference when you do that. And so we're partnering with 17 local organizations, and we give to those organizations monthly to meet the needs of people in our city. And you do that. You give that away. Over the years, we've had a, 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 an occasion to make a difference during the legacy offering season where we have given to all these uh, kinds of organizations that reach into our city. We've worked together to beautify elementary schools. We, one year we, we, gave, um, we gave Christmas bonuses to teachers. Um, we've given away cars. We've, give, we've bought vans for ministry and mission and student ministries. One time we even renovated a local business that was down the street from one of our campuses. Like just to say, we care about you. And of course, we have given over and over again to start campuses, to purchase buildings, to, to, to do what God's given us to do here in this city. But this year, as we've prayed about our legacy offering, Amy and I specifically have really had this, this thing on our hearts. And we want you to know what God has spoken to us about how to move forward. And there are four vision goals that we think we need to aim at this next year. And I want you to hear about it. I want you to know about it. I think it's important. Um, these vision goals are things we need to focus on. They give us direction for 2024. They help crystallize where we're headed as a church. And they provide a way for us to come together in agreement, not only in prayer, but in our generosity as well. And so here's some areas we're going to invest in, all right? Here it is. Number one, we're investing in the next generation. We're investing in the next generation. There is almost nothing that matters more than what we give and pass on to the next generation. There's so many statistics that tell us when we do a good job with the next generation in telling them the story of Jesus, they end up serving him all their life. The percentage of people that hear about the gospel when they're young and they live it out, the percentage goes up the younger they hear about it, the younger they understand it, the younger they are when God speaks to them. It's so important. We wanna renovate some classrooms so that the experience is even better. We wanna make some investments in student programs and, and schools. We, we wanna provide support for parents in a more specific way to help in raising kids. And so we wanna invest in the next generation. The next Next thing is we want to invest in something called radical hospitality. Radical hospitality. You know, when I first started One Chapel, we started wearing these name tags. You guys got your name tags on today? I didn't, I, I didn't put my name tag on today, and so shame on me. But I, we did this because I, I learned about it from a, from a little business book, and it was kind of a sales book, and, and what, what, what it did was it tracked what happens when you wear your own name tag just out and about. And when you wear a name tag, no matter where you go, people start a conversation with you. This, you know, if I forget to take my name tag off for lunch, what happens? I go to lunch, and the server comes up, hey, Ross. <laughs> it's, it's the most amazing thing. 
The name tag is a way to create hospitality because you're removing the first barrier to getting to know someone. One of the things that one chapel must be known for as we move forward because it's what we've been known for in the past is this is a place where people feel welcome. When they arrive, somebody talks to them. What we cannot do is be a church where people show up, they sit in the back row, no one ever speaks to them. We need to be engaged with hospitality in a way that is a conviction. And we want to increase the hospitality of our churches, of our buildings. And that means make some some spaces where people love to hang out, where people want to come even during the week. Yes, before and after church, but maybe a coffee shop, maybe a daycare for working parents. Um, We've already created a wedding venue back here in the back. Uh, I encourage you to go see it sometime when it's not wet and muddy. Um, I I want you to see our buildings as extensions of the ministry God's given us, and they need to be places, not just where we do something on Sunday, but a a community center where people get their needs met all week long. I wanna think like that. We're investing in gospel outreach and spiritual formation. One of the things we wanna do this year is we wanna start a a ministry called Alpha, if we can. And Alpha, is some of you have heard about it, Nikki Gumbel started it many, many years ago, and it's, it's aimed at people who have questions about God. And we're gonna be talking about more things like this, a greater emphasis on answering people's questions as we move forward, making sure that we have discipleship uh, coaching and curriculum that is actually usable by every person, no matter how, no matter how long they've known Jesus, and that we're leading one another in this spiritual outreach into our community and spiritual formation of who we are and and becoming like Jesus. We wanna invest in that over the next year. And then finally, number four, it's just four things. We wanna invest in vulnerable children. We wanna invest in saving vulnerable kids. And Amy and I specifically have been thinking and praying about this a lot over the last year. Uh, because there's a, there's a ministry that we're going to use as a special international focus for our legacy offering. And what we give, we're going to give our first and our best to this global missions partner. It's called the Village Global. And you may have heard about it. Some of you have even uh, gone on a, a missions trip and, and visited and been part of, seen what that ministry has done. Um, but it's making a huge difference in the lives of children who are being trafficked. And it is, it, it, it is, it is horrendous what happens to little children around the world. And the violation that's happening, we understand it, sorry. One of the things that matters most is that we help the vulnerable and those who are violated, desperate, have nowhere to go. Jesus said, if you hurt these little ones, he said it in Matthew 18, he said, it's better that a millstone be tied around your neck and you get thrown into the river. I think on the flip side of that is, it's one of the most important things that we can do is help little ones, help innocent ones, help vulnerable people. And so we're gonna give to that this year, and I want you to, I want you to be motivated and, 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 and I want you to think about it and I want you to pray about it and I want you to watch this video here because it'll explain kinda what this ministry is all about. 
Hola, me llamo Esteban y tengo 8 años de edad. Stephen's case is, um, to a lot of people, it's not just sad and tragic, but it's unbelievable. He was exploited during the day, never went to school. When he got here, he didn't even know his last names. He didn't know his real name. He didn't know his age. He couldn't tell you any facts about his life or his family or who he was. He couldn't talk that much. He was so under such mega, mega trauma. When we got him, he was being brothled in Mexico City. He's just now getting to where he's starting to confess the atrocities that were done to him. And his body is just completely covered in scars from his neck down. And you can tell it's hot water and um, the top part of grills when you roast chicken. And they would just torture him with the hot grills and hot water because he didn't want to comply to their, their desires. Because he had been rented and trafficked to men his entire life, and I'm not talking just the last couple of years, since infancy, he had been um, done a lot of bad stuff too. The Village Global was started many, many years ago. We always stayed with the basic of starting churches. We have the drug rehabs. We have two right now. We're fixing to start our first women's drug rehab. Right now we have, I believe, 60 cadets. So we help them in every way we can. We have a lot of therapy, a lot of worship. It's where, where there is no race and there is no economical difference. The, the upper class are sitting with the poorest of the poor and they're actually sometimes crying together at the table because they're in the same boat. We also have, of course, the rescue mission here where we rescue, restore, and raise and or give into foster care adoption children every day we do we're working on cases and then we just started one in south mexico in the state of chiapas the knight in shining armor which is actually a pimp or a child trafficker comes, falls in love with her, starts buying her flowers, chocolates. And once he gets her used to him paying the rent, him taking care of her, and usually it comes in hand in hand with meth. So he gets her addicted and then he says, well, I want, I want that little girl. Then a lot of the times, not always, but a lot of the times the moms go harder into the drugs so that they don't feel what they're doing to their children. Ella la vimos, mira. Son narcos, consumidores a la vez. La van a hacer daño a ella. Y tú sabes de qué estoy hablando, ¿sí o no? Tu padrastro vive aquí, ¿no? Tu papá no vive aquí. Y tu padrastro. Y te hace daño tu padrastro. No se puede seguir en mi papá. No. Okay. Yo, de hecho, ayer estaba yo pensando que también la vida. Thank you.
children who come here never had a birthday party. They've never gotten one birthday gift in their life. They've, they've never been celebrated. We let the 18-year-old who never knew how to do that flip on the trampoline or whatever, we go to the beach at least once, if not two or three times a year. Beach therapy is always pretty because we always have new kids who've never been to the beach. I'll let the kids collect seashells, send dollars, what have you. And then we have an intense therapy of forgiveness of what they did to you was wrong. Forgiving them is not saying it's okay, but forgiving them is letting it go. And then on the count of three, we all throw our seashells. nothing that matters more. We've already given to this ministry in several other ways, but I want us to, I want us to give in a way that makes a difference. They're trying to build a, a new dorm. They, they, they never have enough space. They always have more kids than they have space. This ministry is connected to Mountain Gateway. Some of you know Mountain Gateway, and, um, and we've been partners with Mountain Gateway for many years, and I just think this is a great thing, place for us to put our prayers and a great place for us to put our generosity and um, it contributes to what matters most. So let's pray. Father, would you help us? Would you help us over these next few weeks to evaluate what matters? Would you help us to prioritize what's going on in our lives and what's going on in the world? Would you help us to become the people that make a difference in a way that matters most to you? Lord, let your word come alive now as we share just a few moments together. Give us revelation and give us grace to obey in Jesus' name. Amen. We're calling this uh, series What Matters Most because we have to learn what to prioritize, what God prioritizes, and then do what God thinks is most important. And there's an amazing story that can help us understand what matters most. It's in John chapter 12. We're just going to read it here in our short few minutes we have left. John 12, verse 1 through 6. If you want to join with me in the message notes, you can do that at the QR, with the QR code. But it says this. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany when Lazarus, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among the rec those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples... Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. In the Gospel of Mark, it records Jesus' response to this same story. I like how Mark says it here. He says, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, 
and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. I want you to read that last line with me. She did what she could. I think this is what matters most, doing what you can, doing what God tells you to do. I want you to look at your life. I want you to look at your blessings. I want you to look at the love and the grace and the mercy that's been poured out into your life that you've received. I want you to look at the restoration and the healing and the hope you've received. I want you to look at the forgiveness and the second chances and the third chances and the 50th chance and the 100th chance that you've received. Look at your life and do what you can to honor God with what you have. This is what this woman did. In verse eight and nine, she says, it says, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body, Jesus said. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This is a picture of extravagant love. Mary took what she had and gave it to Jesus. And honestly, I think we all genuinely want to do that. But you gotta remember this. We have to remember this. Love does. It does something. Love has to do something. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he, he did something. Love is extravagant. That's a good word, isn't it? Everybody just say extravagant. It's Ooh, extravagant. It's the nature of love. You can't say, I love you with 36% of my heart. You can't stand up at, the, at your wedding day and say, I love you with pretty much all of my heart, but there is this one other person. Listen, church, true love causes us to be extravagant. Have you ever been truly in love? I've been truly in love. I'm in love with the woman I'm married to. Works out really good. This is a journal, handmade journal. Handmade, handwritten. I actually went and bought these little strings at a material fabric store when I was 25 years old. This is really old now, it's falling apart. But it is a journal that my wife has kept that has all the things that I think about her all of the things that God was telling me about her, all of the things that I believed that I wanted her to know about why I loved her. It was extravagant. I was broke, so I couldn't afford a journal, so I had to make one. Listen, when we do something extravagant that shows people how much we love them, it changes the atmosphere. Changes the relationship. Love changes the atmosphere around a person when they are shown extravagant love. When we've gone to Foster Village and taken care of those people, helped Foster Village empower them to foster those parents to foster little children 
it changes the atmosphere there. When we've gone down to Community First, which is a, a place, a community of ho- former homeless, formerly homeless people, and we've given food and helped and sat and talked and, and joined in with what's going on in that community, it changes the atmosphere. When you guys go on November 4th and you go to your different places that you've signed up for, when you do something out of love, when you do something that costs you a Saturday, when you do something that is extravagant for you, when you'd rather be back at home, something happens when you do that. But I want you to notice there was another, there was another person in this story. His name was Judas. And I just want to highlight three things for you that Judas was. Judas was a controller. In verse 4, he says, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. He wanted to to control the circumstances. Trying to control what was happening. Judas was also a complainer. Verse 6, he says, or verse 5, he says, why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? I had a better idea about this. Complainers always think they have the best ideas. I think we should have done this. I think we should do that. I think we should go over here. I think we get, listen, Judas was a controller. He was a complainer. And complaining is one of the worst things any of us can do in your family or in your church or at your job. It's one of the worst things you can do. If you're known as a complainer, you will not work there long. You will not go without fighting and, and arguing Here's how C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, hell (laughs) begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others. Well, that's encouraging. Thank you, C.S. Lewis. Judas was also a consumer. Verse 6, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what he put into it. See, all Judas was doing was he was fending for himself. Selfishness was driving his every decision. Not only that, but not, it, wasn't, it wasn't just that. It was that selfishness was masquerading as generosity. He was acting like he was concerned about the poor. But he wasn't. He was just greedy. And I think we, if, we, if we don't understand what Jesus is after in things like legacy offerings or things like what we do at church or things like serve day, if we don't get a hold of the deeper point that Jesus makes here in this story, we will miss entirely what God wants from us. Everybody repeat this after me. Say, God help me to not have a Judas heart where it's all about controlling and complaining and consuming just for me. You see, Mary was caring. Mary had the opposite way of thinking. Mary was caring. She cared about Jesus. Mary contributed. She contributed to what Jesus was doing. She digs into her life. She takes what she has. All she has is some expensive perfume. It's the best thing she can do, and she contributes, think about this, to Jesus' purpose. How does she do that? She prepares him for his burial, Jesus says. She didn't give in a way that others could give. She gave in the way that only she could, which is what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to give in the way that we can. The extravagant love Jesus had for that woman 
She realized it. She, she experienced it. For Mary, she had realized and experienced Jesus' extravagant love, and now she wants to pour her extravagant love out on him. And because of that, what Jesus says is she's, she created a lasting legacy. Here we are 2,000 years later, we're talking about this woman. We're talking about this person. Mary made a decision to serve Jesus, to worship Jesus, to express her love for Jesus, to do what mattered most, and it became the most memorable thing. It became the thing that changed the atmosphere. What does Jesus do in response to her? He stands up for her, he defends her, he gives her a lasting legacy. Judas was consumed with his own agenda, but Mary was consumed with Jesus. I want us to be consumed with Jesus. I want our church to be consumed with what consumes Jesus. So I want you to just pray with me here. Would you stand up? And I want us to, I want us to, to accept the extravagant love of Jesus. And I just want you to open up your hands like this and I just want you to let the Holy Spirit meet you right where you are. God, we thank you. We thank you that we're not, um, we're not somewhere else this morning and being consumed with distractions and concerns. Thank you that you've brought us here to this moment. Thank you that you've brought us here to think about what matters most. Would you show us what we can do that matters most to you? Those of us who are in this room and we, maybe we, having difficulty experiencing the extravagant love of Jesus, I just pray that you would pour your love out. Pour your love out and conquer all the fear, conquer all the shame, conquer all of the worries and anxieties. Let love, let the love of Christ come upon you here and now because that's what matters most. Receive his love. Receive his forgiveness. Don't let your mind go to what has happened. Don't let your mind go to complaining. Don't let your mind go to controlling. Let your mind be opened up. Let your heart be opened up to the love of God that is extravagant. He sees you. He knows you. He knows what's happened this week. He knows what's been going on in your life. He knows where you've fallen down. He knows how to help you get back up. He knows it all, and he wants you to know he loves you. And that extravagant love is going to stay on you today. It's going to rest on you today. It's going to rest on you today as you walk out of this place. His love is going gonna, is gonna to hover over you. It's going to cover you today. And as you lay your head down on that pillow tonight, I want you to remember that his extravagant love must, must not only come into your soul, heal you and forgive you and cleanse you and change you, but it must flow through you. <laughs> flow through you to another. Father, I pray that you'd make us people of love, people of extravagant love, not only for you, but 
for others. Help us to forgive where we need to forgive. Help us to heal where it's in our power to heal. Help us to give what we have to serve another who is in need. Lord, we thank you for this. And we receive all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen.